to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Podcast. My name is Mustafa Sadiq, uh, reporting to you live in the middle of a pandemic. With me here, I have uh, Ken Sanner, who is COVID positive. Oh, okay. You're gonna put it out there. Cool. Yeah, we put it out there. It's cool. It's cool. We were I'm talking a about under it. The weather, so if I'm not my usual self today, that's why. He uh, Ken was telling me earlier about how he couldn't smell a very strong body. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it was the body wash. Oh, not a body butter. Body okay, not a body butter. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. All right. Also with us today, I have uh, Tim Graham. Uh, Tim is a uh, paramedic. Uh, actually, he's the director of the paramedic program that we that Ken and I both teach at. Uh, Tim, introduce yourself, please. Hi, everybody's doing. Tim Graham. I'm the paramedic program director at Harvard Community College. Uh, I was teaching there seven years before that. Uh, my background's a little more science-based. I have my bachelor's in biology. And I just really find paramedicine interesting and the whole learning process. Something to learn new every day. Great to have you on the show, man. Um, Thank you for your service. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, quite the ride uh, teaching uh, teaching there. It's, I think we have a pretty good team. And just for the people that are uh, a part of our international audience, so that's Harford County, Maryland, on the eastern shore of uh, the United States. Uh, so, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about the like the program and the structure? Because uh, I'm sure it's quite different from other programs around the globe. Yeah, so it's kind of a nice setup we have. We're technically non-credit, but of course you can get college credits after that. But we have uh, roughly, I guess it's about 15 months of classroom. Total program is going to take around 18 months. And it's a pretty good setup. We are a very scenario-based program. We spend half our time in the lab after the first module. So it's continuing education, so module-based, and we just go. Once the class starts... They get off Christmas, Thanksgiving, and a spring break, and every other week they're going to be in the classroom. And then we have some really great clinical affiliations. Um, we work with local hospitals here and then a couple different local counties uh, to give more rural and a little bit more suburban kind of a EMS experience. So our students tend to come out. I was actually just looking at survey results today from past graduates, and they consistently say they really felt well-roundedly prepared when they came out. So pretty happy with the results, but we're always trying to improve. Yeah. And I think we've, we've done a good job recently of trying to, you know, get, make ourselves better and incorporate more, uh, you know, anatomy, physiology, and, you know, applied physiology, you know, similar to what we've done on the podcast. Uh, so, which is kind of how the question and the topic of today's uh, discussion came about. Uh, so Tim, do you want to kind of dive into how we got into the discussion of mechanism of action of medications and various indications, contraindications, so on and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. So as always, you know, continual improvement. I was working on a kind of a new group-based assignment. Uh, we're doing a lot more group-based learning. And as I'm working through the assignment, as we just started pharmacology. So the students are just got out of a basic physiology and anatomy module, and now they're going to start learning their drugs. And I'm messaging with Mustafa trying to figure out this assignment to get the students to understand their what a medication does, how it works on the body. What does it mean to stimulate, you know, a beta-1 receptor? 
And in that, I did a common error and I started to mix in a little bit of indication. Like, how's that going to help a patient? And Mustafa was good and responded. He was like, we probably need to separate that. And I think he was spot on. Students start thinking too much about what patient do I have to treat? Not what does this drug really do? Like working through the bloom levels of understanding. What is the base fact? What is the process in the body? Then work their way up to applying it. And once you start looking, looking at it that way, it kind of remind myself in medicine. It's not the protocol book that tells you the patient. It's being a clinician now. It's understanding all the effects on the body and weighing the different effects to benefit the patient. So it just kind of changed that perspective, I think. I think that's really important that that distinction is made uh, because when you look at a lot of students as they become paramedics, as they grow as clinicians, when you teach them that, you know, a drug is indicated for X, say, aspirin and nitro are indicated for chest pain. You're going to run into paramedics out there. And we've, we all know people like this who give aspirin and nitro to people with chest pain in completely inappropriate solution, uh, situations. Whereas if you teach that, Hey, this is a platelet inhibitor, this is a vasodilator, and this is how the drugs work and why they work. You know, next time they have somebody who gets punched in the chest, they're not going to give aspirin and nitro, you know, uh, or the next time they have someone who's in a car accident, um, you know, and the airbag hits them in the chest, maybe they won't give them those drugs, you know, because we all know things like that do happen. And I think you really see that the most when we do respiratory distress. Yes. Applications of CPAP, Duonebs. They're like first line, somebody can't breathe. So what do most people want to do? Get out the neb, drop a duo neb, and they haven't even listened to lung sounds yet. You've seen it in scenarios yep. and you see it in you see it in the field when you're doing QA. And then they if they catch it, hopefully, they give them a half neb because they realized halfway through, oh, they don't have any wheezing. I just treated difficulty breathing. I didn't assess a patient. So it, I think those lines of delineation make a big difference. It's funny you bring that up because the first National Registry test I ever uh, uh, evaluated for, I actually failed multiple people for that exact thing um, of not doing a respiratory assessment on a patient and they're just going right to giving a neb. You know, it's a very common error that people make. Yeah, it's interesting you guys bring that up. I think there's two major, two big major points you guys bring up. So first, um, uh, the having the general... Again, I know we keep coming back to this on the podcast, but having a general understanding of anatomy and physiology is just not enough anymore, right? Uh, we need to have a working understanding of advanced physiology and applied physiology. Um, and taking a deeper dive and a slower dive, I must, I must say, which I think we did very well with the, the last few cohorts, of taking it slowly when we teach um, these, uh, you know, the, the, these applied uh, physiology concepts, and also bringing in content experts that are not paramedics, right? So not us. Uh, uh, bringing in uh, so Sam Galvano. He's he's been on the show. We had a we're, we're going to have a so when this airs, it's going to his publication will uh, well his episode will have been published. Uh, you know, having a critical care intensivist or, or in a uh, an, in a anesthesiologist who understands more of the physiology or has forgotten more of the physiology than we know currently, right? Um, because that that really helps with uh, the granularity of the subject and getting to the uh, the the to the level that the clinician has to know about. The other uh, topic, which is more of a general, harder uh, topic that we have talked about 
multiple times on the podcast, uh, that is the, uh, the critical thinking of the paramedic clinician, right? Or the EMS clinician in general, um, kind of the, the traumatic, the obviously traumatic chest pain, the gunshot wound to the chest that gets aspirin and nitro, which I'm sure all of you have heard about before. Uh, that is a lack of critical thinking, but deep, uh, deeper dive, uh, the clinician does not understand the indication of why we give the medications we give and the, you know, the mechanism of action or how the medication works. Uh, so Tim, uh, putting you a little bit on the spot here, could you give me the, if you have access to the book, uh, the, the book definitions of the indication uh, of like medication indications and mechanism of action, if you, if you can. Uh, of course, I don't have the book sitting in front of me. I'm in my makeshift office with everybody home, you know, no problem. avoiding the COVID. Um, but I think what's key is even at a base level at our understanding in that common sense words is when I'm thinking of mechanism of action, you got to take the patient out of it. What is this drug doing in the body? When I give you epi, it's not I'm fixing your asthma. I'm, I'm not fixing that. What am I doing? I'm giving epi. I'm hitting all those receptors. So it's a mechanism of action is receptor mediated. And that's why I think like you and I talk, it's always a struggle because talking to receptors isn't fun. Let's just be honest. For most people that are a student, it's not fun. But understanding that, then get the indications. So now we're, we're talking about the threshold. Who needs it? And then in my opinion, a threshold to pull that, to pull that lever. So, you know, thinking more like I think physically is easier to think about the concept, needle decompression. So there's a threshold for when we pull that. You'll see it all the time. I just saw it in a scenario I was running yesterday. It's they're checking lung sounds and they're diminished and they don't check for a threshold. They just pop the chest. I was like, well, are they hemodynamically unstable? Or are they actually having circulatory problems? Once you pose the questions, students in particular, and even you'll see this in experienced paramedics start to think like, oh, yeah, it is more than that. There, there's indications, there's a, a threshold. Now that's, of course, where you get into the debate, the gray area that people don't like, which is why you have medical director preference and provider preference, but it's having that understanding, like you mentioned, Mustafa, to get to critical thinking, making a decision, not just waiting for, wait till the monitor says a blood pressure systolic at 90. It says 91, you didn't hit the threshold, it says 90, you do it. There's an understanding of that process in the big picture. So I think that's part of the separation between the two, but yeah, I should, I could probably pull up that uh, book. I'll get it for you in a minute. Maybe we'll loop back around to yeah, it. Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the def, the difference between a clinician and a technician, right? It's the difference be, between being able to say, okay, I think there's diminished breath sounds and I'm going to go ahead and pop the chest. Um, for X, Y, and Z versus just being kind of like, okay, I, I know that the book says if I see diminished breath sounds, I pop the chest, you know, um, or even take it a step further. You know, do I think I've got blood in there? Do I think I've got air in there? You know, um, does this person really need like a chest tube right now, which is not in our skill set in our state right now, but, um, you know, for some people that may be an option. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, wandering my thoughts right now. I apologize. No, that's good, man. That's good. So and, and you guys make great, again, great points regarding, you know, the, the critical thinking and, uh, Tim made a great point, uh, you know, just chatting about, uh, receptors. And that's a, that's a great point that he made that it, not only is it hard to be, uh, the student in that scenario, it's also pretty hard to be the, the instructor in that scenario. Right. And you, I'm sure you guys have experienced that because, um, at least at our program, there's various different backgrounds that are, you know, whether they may not ever have had a STEM education past their high school degree, or they may be have master's degrees in, you know, physiology and everything in between. Um, and, uh, the difficulty that I've found is, breaking down the concepts uh, and the relationships of the cell all the way up to the organ system and the organism, right? So for our listeners, um, the way I try to teach is, you know, the basic unit of life is a cell, right? And then, um, and this is, you know, basic biology, or I shouldn't say basic biology, but like uh, the way it was taught to me, um, a group of cells turns into a tissue, right? A, a, a group of tissues that go, that are uh, part of a similar system is an organ, an organ then uh, can participate in an organ system that has uh, you may have similar you know a similar mission and then that the collection of organ systems becomes the organism right um, but kind of taking it back to the the cell the cell has basic components right uh, and we've we know those as organelles um, with the discussion of COVID and the COVID vaccine right now there's been a lot of crazy thoughts about oh the the uh, you know the vaccine is going to change the DNA of our cells. Well, what does that mean? The DNA is you know the 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 code of life that is housed within the nucleus of the cell. Um, kind of think of it as the command center and the the, the brain of uh, the cell, and it's surrounded by various other organelles, um, such as mitochondria, right? So the powerhouse of the cell, and all these things. And I, and I won't go through all of it because um, I, if if you need to, please uh, uh, any entry level biology textbook or even Google. Uh, organelles of the cell, you'll be able to see what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so you have these organelles and all of those organelles have a mission, right? But the if you think of the cell itself in a silo, it's kind of hard for someone who has no STEM background to connect that to their patient in the cot. So there's an, an added piece that I've found that helps teach and that is the, um, the uh, idea of homeostasis, right? Because homeostasis is easier to connect. Um, I'll bring up the, the patient in respiratory distress, right? That is tachypnic, uh, diaphoretic, pale, bat, you know, junky lung sounds. Uh, and I'll, I'll, tell, I'll ask the students, hey, why do you think the patient is, uh, you know, presenting this way? And what is actually causing them? And, they, you know, they'll give me various, you know, pathologies or, you know, disease. And I say, okay, but what is causing that to happen? And uh, eventually someone will tell me that, you know, there is a lack of oxygen. And then uh, just kind of, you know, moving with this uh, example, once we say, okay, we've established there's a lack of oxygen, well, why is oxygen important, right? And eventually we'll talk about, uh, eventually we'll go to the term of, you know, acidosis, right? And uh, why there we need cellular respiration. And that ends up, ultimately, the end goal of that discussion is to talk about um, the the cellular environment, right? Not just the cell itself, but the environment that it functions and the different physiological parameters uh, that have to be within a normal range, right? If they're not within that normal range, your body isn't able to function properly. 
the 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 worker uh, bees of our body, the proteins, right, aren't able to do their jobs, and our body kind of goes away from center. Um, and last thing before I hand it back over to you guys, uh, an important concept that you know we talk about is uh, positive and negative feedback, right? So uh, ne- uh, negative feedback being um, so if a uh, one of those parameters, say pH, goes out of uh, uh, goes out of a specific range, right? So 7.35 to 7.45, your body takes actions to bring it back to normal, right? Um, and then an example of positive feedback, which is much, I would say, a much harder concept uh, to kind of initially describe to someone, is when your body feels uh, it going away from a baseline, it takes actions to take it further away from baseline. A good example of that is childbirth, right? Um, so I know that was a little bit of a long winded, uh, um, part on my, my end. So here, I'll hand it off to you guys. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think that foundation, the one problem I think we have is paramedics. When you think about this, the extreme diversity of patients we interact with and in a 15 month or two year paramedic program, you're expected to understand basic physiology and numerous diseases. And I think the key to this is it's not realistic to know it all, but if you have that physiology background and you understand how the body's supposed to work, it, all you need to really know is not all the diseases, but if somebody can give you that piece of information of what isn't working, what hyperthyroidism really means, how does the thyroid interact with the body? Now that it's elevated, how is that going to affect everything else? And it's, I mean, it's an ongoing education. I mean, we're all still learning. It's, I, you know, I prep for classes now year round. Every time I prep for a class, I'm either reminded of something I completely forgot or looking through other research, learn something new. But if I keep working towards that basic body, how does it work? Whenever I come into a new disease or you have a student that tells me that I had this really weird patient last week that had this unusual disease and it's a name I've never heard of. What do I do first? Like everybody else, Google the name of the disease because it's something I might not know. And then I just try to look what body systems that affect. What is, what are they producing or not producing? Because really everything stems off that foundation. There's either a switch that usually isn't being turned on right or one that's being turned on too much or isn't being produced at all. And that really, when you get to most of the diseases we diagnose, it works back to one of those. They're just good names to help remember for physicians and for research but for us, it gives us a guidance of what to expect from that patient in the 15, 20, 30, or even, you know, hour in the back of a medic unit if we just have those couple key pieces of information. Yeah, and I think that's really important that there is a lot of crossover, um, you know, to take it back to the acid-base stuff Moose was talking about. If you think about a lot of these diseases, the end game for a lot of them – almost all of them is some form of acidosis, right? So understanding acid-base balance and the way we interact with um, these disease processes is pretty important, right? Um, but no one wants to talk about it because it's not sexy. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not real cool to think about that acidosis in your end-stage sepsis shock, you know, septic shock patient. And, um, you know, it, 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 it just does, it does matter, you know, um, when we, we talk about things like that, um, or how a lot of this stuff wraps together, it's not the same, you know, anaphylaxis is not the same as asthma, but there are some related commonalities that it's 
good to be aware of, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on that. And I would say another kind of interesting thing, and I'm lucky enough in one of my other professions, I uh, also work for the state police, and I've been able to attend some of their uh, aviation trainings. Um, I used to fly with them. Right now I'm in a different position. But the emphasis in one of them, again, very experienced providers in the room reminding us, the body compensates. The body doesn't always do its textbook. And when you're treating a patient, if you move them back to textbook, you might remove their compensation. So a lot of times we talk about in class, of course, our beta blocker patients, right? They can't compensate. So they can't, you know, have an elevated heart rate because they're on a medication that stops that. What is that happening in the body now when they have blood loss or they're in shock? Or if they are compensating and you stop that, what are you going to do to them? So when we're talking about like acid base, somebody's breathing super fast. They're breathing at a rate of, we'll go with 28 and their end tidal, you know, so their CO2 is down around 20. That's not right, right? When you look up what, you know, Ken should be breathing at right now, that isn't right. So I'm going to fix that. I'm going to drive his his end title back up to 35. But if that was compensating, I could have now made him more acidic and put him in a much worse situation. And I think that's the other key to just understanding what is the body, the homeostasis theory, and why is the body doing what it's doing? Is it fixing something or making something worse? And sometimes, like fever is a great example, the body is starting a process to help itself. But if a fever gets too high, it's hurting itself, right? Because your proteins start, don't work as well once they start to get those high temperatures. You know, have 101, 102 degrees Fahrenheit, you affect your own protein folding. So the body can make itself worse off than when it started. And that's when we need to intervene, when the body's, in my opinion, making itself worse. It's overcompensated in a way that's damaging it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and th- and that's a great point. So, uh, you know, what what you're alluding to is th- those concepts of feedback, right? Negative and positive feedback, and absolutely. So, some, you know, uh, and I I don't know if it was you or Ken, but talked about anaphylaxis, right? That that is a hallmark example of our body doing the wrong thing, all right? Um, or um, you know, uh, over overreacting uh, in uh, you know to the point of inappropriate response. Um, the uh, kind of Moving, you know, a, a little bit forward from uh, what, what we just discussed, I think a, a really important concept uh, that I wanted to uh, touch on a little bit was what Ken mentioned about, you know, the ultimate end game uh, is, you know, uh, the ultimate, um, what should I say, end point is acidosis, right? That, uh, that's absolutely, that's a great example of what, uh, as the parameters are going more and more out of whack, uh, you know, acidosis is absolutely one of those major contributing factors to uh, uh, progress disease in like sepsis or, you know, even uh, trauma, right? So we, we talk about the trauma triad. Um, and the efforts uh, of fixing those, uh, those parameters is kind of where our job comes into play, right? So helping uh, the body get back to that uh, level of, uh, I wouldn't really call it a, you know, the, the original normal, but whatever that patient's normal is to hopefully get them from point A to point B so they can have definitive care. Um, the, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you guys and then we can move on. Tim, do you have anything? I'm yeah. not proud of that. I think it's a good explanation. Ken? No, yeah, no, I think those are all really good points. Um, you know, I think there's a, a broader discussion that we're kind of 
talking about now than what we maybe originally started with, but I think that's really good because I do think it is important to remind people, you know, that understanding these core concepts involved in pathophysiology are really vital to understanding how to treat a patient because, you know, again, we may treat an asthma exacerbation and a COPD exacerbation very similarly, if not identically, but there are two very different disease or two or more very different disease processes going on at, you know, in those instances. So it, it becomes, uh, you know, an exercise in understanding what is probably going to happen with your patient, you know, understanding that you can do everything right for that COPD or, but there's a good possibility that, you know, even if you've given your whole arsenal of drugs and therapies, um, you know, you might end up with a patient who's not, you know, satting at 100% and breathing, you know, comfortably because they just might never do that. Or, you know, you might realize that if you put someone on CPAP and they're really tight, you you could have some issues there as well, uh, possibly. So it's just, uh, eh, I think, all very interesting. Um, like I said, I'm a little, little off today, but... Uh, that's kind of my, my thoughts on where we are right now. No, those are definitely good points, Ken. Two, uh, building on that, two, uh, two key points I want to make real quickly is, uh, and it won't be quick because it's me, but um, the first one is the uh, medications we give and, you know, to kind of build on that, the, the chemical messengers in our body, right, are all receptor dependent, right? So I'll give you an example. So dopamine uh, depending on the receptors that you have in your in your nervous system, right? So in your in your brain will react differently and and serve at way smaller concentrations as neurotransmitters than they do when they're reacting with uh, you know uh, other like you know for when we're giving it for cardiac reasons, right? So um, the 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 receptor matters, right? The uh, I'll give you guys an example. So epinephrine, right? So we know that it works on not only beta one, beta two, right? But alpha one and alpha two, right? So, but what do those receptors do? So those receptors are connected to a cell that we talked about before. And those receptors are then connected to very complicated um, uh, cellular uh, infrastructures that are living not only outside of the cell uh, membrane, but within the cell membrane and on the inside of the cell as well. When that epinephrine molecule connects to the, uh, you know, to the beta one receptor, that starts a chain of events that changes the behavior of the cell. As you uh, apply that to the, you know, the tissue level, the organ level, that's when we start seeing uh, feedback loops that cause, you know, the change in the change in behavior at the cellular level causes a change in behavior at the organ level, which causes change at the organ system level. And that it then creates those feedback loops. At the the key concept is uh, uh, is the idea of an effector, right? So the effector cell feels the response, or the effector entity, right, feels the response, sends it to an integrator who figures it out, right? Figure figures it out, figures out what the change in stimulus is, and then uh, wait, I totally said that wrong. A um, integrator and effector is the end one. What is the first one? No, yeah, receptor. Oh man, now I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, I, I just going to. Right, we can edit this out. Oh yeah, <laughs> integrator 
Oh yeah, I had it right. Okay, yeah. So you have a, so you have a receptor that takes the signal, sends it to the integrator, and that figures out what the change in parameter was, and sends it the uh, activates the effector entity to do whatever action is needed. Um, there's also uh, one other thing I want to say is uh, so we talked about you know how a drug works, but also different drugs affect different parts of the cell. So not all uh, drugs affect the surface of the cell, right? Uh, so there's the idea of polarity, right? So if a if a molecule is water loving or well, if they're polar or nonpolar is not water loving, if they're hydrophobic or hydrophilic, and if they are hydrophilic, they meaning they they are you know pretty friendly with fats or no pretty friendly with water, uh, they will interact with the surface of the cell. If they're hydrophobic, meaning that they are more fat loving their receptor might be the, on the inside of the cell. They can pass through the fatty cell membrane easily. An example of that is steroids that work on the inside of the cell and alter uh, uh, transcription, right? So the, uh, the changing or the use, uh, transcription is when DNA, when mRNA is coded from DNA, uh, steroids work on that directly, so from a general sense. So uh, that's how we get the speeds of the drugs uh, that we uh, we utilize as well. Tim, I know you want to say something. So I was just going to say what's really nice uh, for that part right there, Mustafa, is we just experienced the complications of this vocabulary when it's spoken orally. In all honesty, it's a rather complicated subject that we know Mustafa knows better than anybody else on this call right now. or how it affects the body, but getting these terms right, I think it's important for people to understand that it's okay to have moments of frustration keeping these complex systems straight. You know, I remember learning, you know, the Krebs cycle and having to memorize it and draw it out. And then two years later, you get another class where they want you to draw it out and you got to relearn it. And you're like, it's that ongoing process that that's kind of an important thing to understand that as clinicians at any level all the way up to mds you're going to have some of this stuff when we hit complex systems there's a lot to discuss and for the mind to wrap around because it's an abstract process you don't see this happening you try to visualize it and watch what's going on but i think that's just an important thing when people are thinking about this process to uh allow themselves especially if you're just getting into this topic because i know a lot of paramedics when i went through we weren't receptor heavy when i went through my school so as people start advancing their education, expect to have some of those those moments in the learning process. Um, no, that, that's a really good point, and that's a really good ground. That's a really good grounding point, actually. Yeah, because um, I, I will also say that uh, the frustrations that folks feel as instructors, we oh sorry, that folks feel as students, we also feel as instructors, right? Because uh, we are trying to figure out the best way to deliver uh, the information in a palatable way. Um, and I mean, I think at least the team here, not only, you know, at alert Mac one, but, you know, we teach together outside of here. I think all three of us, uh, are constantly looking at ways to, you know, fight that fight better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's a very good point. You bring up Tim in that in our initial education, a lot of this stuff wasn't really talked about. I mean, I remember I went through my EMTI in 2007 and my P in, 0809 and um we mentioned stuff like beta 1 beta 2 but that was really about the extent of it um 
you know, beta one, beta two, alpha one, you know, we didn't talk about a lot outside of that. And that's only been what, you know, 13, 14 years ago now. Um, but now there's this push for this, you know, more detailed receptor physiology stuff, which is good, but that means we have to, or had to learn it as well ourselves. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just the reality of the beast is stuff will continue to change. We're going to have to learn a lot more new stuff moving forward as uh, EMS educators. You know, we're going to have to get into all kinds of stuff that we can't even probably imagine right now that we have to learn. But it will happen and we, we got to keep up with the uh, pace. Yep, that's spot on. And then getting back to Mustafa, what you were talking about is that base level of our drug types where we're talking about our steroids like it's great you have to redefine things like transcription a term that somebody's probably heard once yep you know in the past two years so it's that ongoing process and then understanding that what you just said is the speed of drugs and how they affect and where they affect them and again that base level as you mentioned if you have a drug that's affecting a receptor or like a g coupled receptor or whatever kind there are that are on the cell surface a lot of those can be very rapid depending on the type versus altering how things are presenting and what's being developed. And that's also really important with this mRNA um, vaccine, you know, that's coming out, which is the new technology. It It's so interrelated in medicine of these terms. They'll, they'll pop up every couple months or every couple years and how, how the body's going to... Um, so we, we just hit the 35 minute mark. So, I, um, I, I think great discussion. I think probably we could do, uh, you know, multiple series on the multiple episode series on this. Um, but I do want to, do want to finish it out. So, uh, I know we talked a lot today. Um, you know, so just a quick recap, uh, you know, a mechanism of action is basically just how a medication works, right? I mean, I, I to boil it down, an indication is why we, a medication is given, um, indications uh, are, are extra. It can be extrapolated to procedures as well, right? It doesn't have to be isolated to um, you know pharmaceutical agents. Um, we've talked to you know a bunch of other things. Um, so here, I'll hand it off to you guys for any finishing notes before I finish this out. No, I don't. I don't have anything else. Just uh, want to remind everybody: check us out on Facebook, Alert Medic One. Check out our website: www.alertmedic1.com leave us a a rating and a review and I'll hand it off to Tim from there. I'm just going to thank you both, uh, Ken and Mustafa. I've known you guys for years. I appreciate the invite to be on here and I'll hope to continue learning from both of you and we'll keep trying to get good information out there for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, I'm really looking forward to you, uh, you know, recording with us more. Uh, Hey, listen, everybody. Thank you. As Ken said, please go ahead. uh, Please uh, follow us uh, on social media. We're, uh, we're working to get things ramped back up. Um, I really appreciate all of you for, you know, listening in as always, please let us know, uh, what we can do better. Uh, we're always looking to improve any topics, suggestions, please let us know. Um, a quick moment. I know, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be, um, wouldn't be wise for me to not bring up that everybody is still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, all the mental, you know, the, the, the mental stressors, the, you know, the, all the different pressures that are affecting everyone, uh, you know, from the frontline workers to, uh, frontline, you know, EMS, fire, police, everyone, uh, just know that we here at Alert Medic One, we are thinking about you guys. Uh, and uh, it, it, I cannot express how much we appreciate that during all of this, you all are still listening in. 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Keep up the strong work. Uh, and that's all for now. Thank you all. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Thank you.